Hello and welcome to a podcast for the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology to accompany our August 2019 issue. I'm joined today by Daniel Lambrix to discuss his paper contained in this month's issue on diverticulitis. Dr Lambrix, please could you give us a little bit of background on diverticulitis and the burden it places specifically on healthcare providers? Diverticulosis, um, which is defined as the presence of colonic uh, diverticula, is very common in uh, developed countries. And it is uh, known to have an age-dependent prevalence with uh, rates ranging from 5% at the age of 40 up to 65 at the age of 85 or older, uh, although these figures vary throughout the literature. But uh, recent studies have found that approximately 4 to 7% of patients with uh, diverticulosis at one point in their life develop diverticulitis, which can be uncomplicated or complicated. And with regard to the latter, an estimated 8 to 35% of patients with diverticulitis suffer from complicated diverticulitis. And this uh, comprises disease entities such as diverticular abscess formation or perforation with purulent or fecal peritonitis. And from population-based studies, it is known that the incidence of diverticulitis and the incidence of perforated diverticulitis have increased over past decades. And this makes it an important disease in terms of healthcare burden, certainly because, for example, in the United States, diverticulitis is the third most common gastrointestinal discharge diagnosis. And from a cost-related perspective, it has also been reported that the annual associated costs are as high as $2 billion in the USA. Uh, and so over the past decades, a lot of research has been done into the optimal treatment approaches for all grades of complicated diverticulitis. And overall, treatment strategies have shifted towards a more non-surgical approach. Uh, and when focusing specifically on patients with perforated diverticulitis, as we have done in our study, uh, um, with patients with purulent or fecal peritonitis, the opt- optimal surgical treatment has also been a much debated topic in recent years. No, thank you. So you and your co-authors, you conducted a trial comparing two different surgical strategies to treat diverticulitis. Tell us a little bit about the rationale behind the study and what you found as well. Yeah, so uh, what we, uh, in our study we have compared two surgical strategies for the treatment of patients with perforated diverticulitis with purulent or fecal peritonitis. And these procedures were the Hartman's procedure, which is a sigmoid resection with construction of an end colostomy. And this strategy was compared to sigmoid resection with primary anastomosis with or without a defunctioning ileostomy. So nowadays, the Hartman's procedure often still is the procedure of choice. However, from several small and larger retrospective and prospective studies, which were published uh, earlier this century, it seemed that sigmoidectomy with primary anastomosis, despite its often feared risk of uh, anastomotic complications, was equal to or even superior to the Hartman's procedure with regard to, for example, postoperative morbidity and mortality. Moreover, uh, another important potential benefit of sigmoidectomy with primary anastomosis was the fact that during the follow-up after the procedure, it seemed that the stomas that were constructed during the index procedure were more often reversed in this group of patients as compared to the patients who underwent Hartman's procedure. Uh, And estimates of stoma reversal percentages of 80 to 85% were reported for primary anastomosis, whereas these figures were around 50% for Hartman's reversals. And evidently, having a stoma greatly impacts patients' lives and has been demonstrated to significantly decrease the quality of life. So in addition, of course, the fact that the stomas are less frequently taken down also means that these patients remain prone to stoma-related complications, such as uh, peristomal hernias. And thirdly, another advantage of primary anastomosis is that uh, in case of a defunctioning ileostomy, 
uh, its subsequent reversal allows for a safer and less challenging uh, procedure as compared to the Hartmann's reversal procedure. Uh, so next to the stomas more often being reversed, primary anastomosis might also lead to less reversal-related morbidity and mortality. Uh, and, uh, moreover, in selected patients, a defunctioning ileostomy might even be avoided at all during the index procedure. And although all these results were promising, an important downside was, that the, was the fact that these studies were often subject to selection bias. And therefore, the LADIES trial was one of the trials that were designed to compare the two procedures in a randomized controlled uh, study design. Uh, from July 2010 until June 2016, uh, 133 patients with purulent or fecal peritonitis were included in the study and were randomly allocated between Hartmann's procedure and primary anastomosis. And in a modified intention-to-treat analysis, eventually 66 patients were analyzed in the Hartmann's group and 64 in the primary anastomosis group. And the primary endpoint of our study was the 12-month stoma-free survival, which as a single outcome reflects both the risk of mortality and the likelihood of stoma reversal. And interestingly, we indeed found that primary anastomosis was associated with a significantly better stoma-free survival. And uh, although the study had to be terminated early because of slow patient accrual and the study was not powered to detect differences in secondary endpoints, within these secondary endpoints we also found several outcomes that can be used as arguments in favor of primary anastomosis. So, for example, we found a significantly shorter short-term overall morbidity after stoma reversal in favor of primary anastomosis, as well as a shorter median interval to reversal and a shorter postoperative stay after reversal. So, uh, with regard to the short-term morbidity and mortality after the index procedure, no differences were de demonstrated, although, again, the study was likely underpowered to detect these differences. Uh, and so to conclude, we found that in our study, primary anastomosis indeed seemed to be the preferred treatment approach as compared to the Hartmann's procedure. Well, so in terms of the future of the field then, is this the end of the story when it comes to surgical treatment of diverticulitis, or are there kind of more potential strategies that should be explored? Yeah, so uh, I think that's a very interesting question. And first of all, I think it is of importance to state that our study has several in and exclusion criteria and that our results and the interpretation of our findings needs to, uh, need to be carefully interpreted within these criteria and with these criteria in mind. So in general, our conclusion that primary anastomosis is preferable to Hartmann's procedure as treatment for perforated diverticulitis applies to patients with, uh, uh, who are uh, hemodynamically stable and immunocompetent. And we believe that the results of our trial, uh, together with the three trials published previously, indeed now provide strong evidence that for this specific patient group, primary anastomosis is uh, the optimal treatment approach. And as also stated in our paper, the combined evidence has the potential to fundamentally change current practice. And uh, Dr. Akuna and co colleagues have also pointed this out in their comment on our study, which was uh, published in the same issue of the journal. And they even go as far as to state that after 100 years, it is time to relegate routine use of Hartmann's procedure for the management of perforated diverticulitis to the history books. And uh, I believe that at this point in time, indeed, no further evidence from new trials is needed anymore. However, with regard to future research on this topic, uh, evidence from snapshot studies might lead to interesting new insights.